Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. How you doing? You forget about over here. <laughs> I guess I'm from New York, right? I've been traveling a lot lately. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, hey, are you from New York? Are you from New Jersey? I say, yeah, so what? Those of you that are from New York can relate, right? Anyway, I'm Mario Costabile, and I'm super excited to be here with you today as we join together in listening to this podcast. It, by the way, if this is the first time that you're tuning in, welcome, hello, I am so glad that you found us. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do so. Hit that share button. That really helps get the word out. Array of Hope is involved in so many aspects of film, music, and events, and this podcast really gives us an outlet to tackle some deeper topics and subjects about our faith. So have you ever gone on a pilgrimage? Have you ever traveled to a place to deepen your faith? Well, that is the very subject of today's podcast. Our guest today is Stephen Ray, and he's gone on hundreds of pilgrimages all over the world and will share the importance of going on one. This is going to be a really interesting podcast and really informative. So welcome to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. Hey, Dave, welcome back to our conversation in our podcast here. How are you doing today? All right. So uh, things are good. They're moving along. Yeah, it's good. Love the weather. Right? It's always nice this time of year and, and digging that. Uh, what else is shaking? Well, actually, you know, at this time of year, it's probably like get, getting ready for Christmas with a big family. It is. You got to start soon. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately for me, my wife, uh, Sue, like, phew, she's on it. Like, I barely have to think about it. She's already thinking about Christmas, like in September. And so I'm very fortunate in that regard. And, and all I have to worry about is really just getting her something, <laughs> which sometimes is uh, tricky. You got to be careful. Yeah. After 37 years, you run out of things to get your wife. But And if you get the wrong thing, not cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's always been pretty good about it. If I get the wrong thing, she just returns it <laughs> and doesn't say anything to me. Look look what you got, That's me, right. hun. <laughs> So what are we talking about here today, Dave? Well, uh, we're going to talk about going on pilgrimage. But, oh. you know, I have not traveled that much. and But I know that you have. And I know you've been to Italy a lot. You have family there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually a first-generation Italian. My parents were born in Naples, Italy. I try to use my Italian uh, as much as I can. Parlo italiano. Mi piace di parlare italiano. And, uh, yeah, and I love Italy, and, and I have family there, and I visit Italy, you know, as much as I can. Uh, I'm My heart is aching because I haven't been there because of COVID in quite a while. Uh, but it's, uh, it's really great. How about you? Um, well, I have— not been to Italy but once. I was only there for a couple of days. Oh, it okay. was related to my uh, my graduate studies, my PhD mm -hmm. uh, work, because my um, my lead supervisor was actually from Venice. Mm. So I spent a few days there with him. Hmm. But it was part work, although uh, we did get into the city, which was great. Um, now, have you been to the holy sites in Italy when you go? Yeah, I think the last time I went, I made a you know a concerted effort, Sue and I, to really you know check out the churches. And, and Italy's so beautiful; there's like a church every block, you know. Of course, the Vatican. And my last trip is uh, I went to uh, uh, Assisi, 
And uh, it was amazing. Uh, for those of you that haven't been to Assisi, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, you have St. Clair, you have St. Francis there, and just the town and the heritage uh, and the history. Uh, and just going to the places where, you know, uh, St. S- um, Francis, you know, built the church and, and it, it's beautiful. And it really, I experienced a really moving, holy uh, um event there because I really got in touch with uh, who he was as a person uh, because our, our saints are all once people that lived on and walked the earth. So you kind of relate to their humanity uh, because uh, a lot of that history is evident, you know, mm-hmm. and then you see how he grew uh, and how they grew, talking about St. Clair as well. So it was a beautiful um it's a beautiful experience for me. It really was a pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah I haven't been too many places. Um, when I was in Italy, uh, I I went to the uh, to obviously the Piazza San Marco uh, in Venice mm. uh, with the with the Basilica of San Marco there, which Saint Mark, very beautiful. The bones of Saint Mark are there, um, and uh, that that was pretty powerful. Uh, but the only time I think I went to a like on a actual pilgrimage if you could even call it that it wasn't with a group of people it was uh, i was i was in um, santiago de chile and i was there for a, a conference on benedictine education hmm. with uh, benedictine educators from all over the world and uh, during free time on one of the days i wanted to go to visit um the monastery where San Teresa de los Andes was in the Andes Mountains. Mm. And uh, nobody really wanted to go, but the the people who are running the conference, they uh, asked these two college students who were connected with one of the schools there in uh, Santiago de Chile to drive me there, which was, it was a couple-hour drive from the city to where this uh, monastery was. And uh, I think the first thing I did when I finally got to the monastery was thank God that I was alive. Because, mm. like, you have to imagine, like, these two college students who are typical college students, and they're smoking cigarettes, the windows are down. I'm in this jalopy of a car that, like, is all broken down, like, you know, <laughs> something that a couple hundred bucks one of the kids could afford. And they're driving, like, 125 miles an hour around these, like, wicked curves and up on top of like you know really high high heights and and like barely any guardrails mm-hmm. and I'm left I'm gonna die you know like it's just like, <laughs> mamma mia yeah so I was very grateful when I got to the uh, to the site um, which was very moving because uh, her body is there and it's down actually uh, put down into the ground but open and able to be viewed and there's a big wow. circle of kneelers around where the the body is and it was very very touching of course. I love the mountains, so just seeing the Andes was also powerful in its own right. But so it wasn't like a technical pilgrimage, although I guess I did travel there and yeah. I did endure some things during my travel yeah. there to get to that site. So well, I mean, essentially, essentially it was. So I mean, mm-hmm. and that's the theme today, right? You know, pilgrimage. And um, so maybe we could you know share what it is to go on a pilgrimage. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be in Europe. It could be anywhere. It could right. be you know a shrine. It could be somewhere local. It, it, you know. What is it? What is it that happens to us when we focus on uh, making an effort to go on a pilgrimage? What yeah, well, I think that there's a few things to keep in mind here. The first is that the idea of pilgrim kind of gives this notion of a journey. Mm-hmm. So typically, a pilgrimage is a journey to a, a holy site, and uh, usually the holy site is made holy because there was a holy one there. So. Mm. 
um, or it's a site dedicated, like a shrine to um, a holy one. Mm-hmm. Um, now, usually it's associated with a saint or Mary or sometimes even our blessed Lord himself, like in the Holy Land, for example. Um, and usually people travel there for a specific intention. They have an intention that they're they're traveling to this holy site for or to receive special graces for themselves or for, for others. So that's typically um, what a pilgrimage is. But I think that one of the things that's really important to, to kind of focus on with regards to the idea of pilgrimage is this notion of the real. Because I think sometimes we can get caught up with our faith being simply otherworldly. Mm. And, and yet pilgrimage really helps us to see that our faith is steeped in the here and now, like that it involves time and space and place, right? That that God breaks into our world, but not just generally, like at a specific moment in history and enters into the lives of real people, living real lives in in actual places. You know, so I think that, that that's key um, because what it, does is kind of show us that that our faith is incarnational, that our faith is sacramental, that God comes to us through what we can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, that that in a very real and true way, um, the physical is important, that, that God is breaking in to our time and our place, and that the grace is flowing there. Um, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to comment on that because I think that's so true because sometimes people don't completely understand it. And you made a really good point that it does make it real. It it makes it uh, the reality that this happened in a place in time or this spe- specific saint was real and, and walked the earth. It really makes a connection to our humanity. Yeah, and like I mentioned about um, St. Teresa, mm-hmm. like you go to the place and oftentimes there's the body of the saint. So right. even there you're—, you're reminded that they were walking Real. on the earth right yeah, and yeah. and and that there's graces that that those places that are conduits of grace are places where we can you know glean mm-hmm. um a transformative power mm. i think people experience that you know when they go to these places that they have a real sense of conversion oftentimes because they're struck that god is so near and so present but yet in such a ordinary, you know, place. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's powerful. I think sometimes even though with pilgrimages, I mention about my fear for my life in the car, but like the reality is that oftentimes these pilgrimages involve walking long distances. Sometimes they involve climates that are really rough, you know, like that that people become sometimes really aware of their bodies. Like in the Holy Land, it could be really hot. People could be really thirsty. You could be going long periods of time without eating. And so that's also interesting with regards to some pilgrimages because you're very aware of the real, your own mm, body, your own bit hunger. A suff- little bit of suffering. A little yeah. bit of un- being uncomfortable is kind of preparing you to receive those graces in a way. Yes, and in fact, in, that's all part of the offering, especially if you're going for a particular intention, I think. Yeah. Well, that's that's really – that's exciting because I think most Catholics don't think about going on a pilgrimage. And I think we need, we need the physical connection. Yeah. And I think that physical connection makes – 
uh, our Catholicism, our faith real, and um, it can rejuvenate where we are in our faith walk. And I, I, I love that. And I think we, I encourage all our listeners and viewers, you know, to make a pilgrimage. We might be able to find you might be able to find something nearby. Yeah. You know, there's lots of shrines, you know, in the area. So anyway, this was really. Uh, Really great to really bring this to light, you know, and I know that our guest, Stephen Ray, is really going to, you know, bring it home. So great hanging with you, Dave, once again. Awesome. And God bless you. Okay. And you too. Hey, everyone. It's Mariama here for another round of Who's That Saint, where I give you three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Are you guys ready for another saint? I know I am. All right, let's begin with clue number one. This saint was born in 1515, during a time of great upheaval in the world and in the church. Seeing to it that God was calling them to religious life, this saint joined the Carmelite order, even against their father's will. Do you guys know who this saint is already? Who is that saint? Clue number two. Seeing the poor state of Carmel when they entered, this saint followed the inspiration given to them by the Holy Spirit to reform the order, refocusing the order on Christ and recentering the sisters' lives on prayer, fasting, and complete obedience and abandonment to God. Who is that saint? On to our last clue. One of four female doctors of the church this saint's writing has inspired generations of Catholics to strengthen their interior lives. Her life and witness has left such an impression that two other saints took on her name as their own religious name. Do you guys know who I am talking about? Who is this saint? Did I stump you? If you guessed St. Teresa of Avila, you are correct. St. Teresa was a force to be reckoned with in her time. She was courageous in reforming the discalced Carmelite order in conjunction with her friend and fellow Carmelite saint, as well as fellow doctor of the church, St. John of the Cross. Her writings, The Way of Perfection and Interior Castle, give us practical ways in which we can live out holiness and encounter God in our own lives. Lastly, could you guess which saints named themselves after her? Well, both St. Teresa of Calcutta and St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, also known as St. Edith Stein, took on the name Teresa in honor of this great saint. Along with St. Therese of Lisieux, these women are known as the Four Teresas, all offering much wisdom to the body of Christ. Thank you guys for playing another round of Who's That Saint? Until then, remember, you can be a saint too. Just ask for the intercession of our heavenly friends. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Hey, welcome back to the Music Corner. My name is Jack, and as a Ray of Hope's audio and music production director, it's my absolute pleasure to be able to give you, each podcast, a personal look into the music we have the privilege of creating for Christ and His Church. So this episode, I'd like to play for you a short excerpt from our original song, Love One Another, full of lush vocal harmonies, bombastic drum sounds, and arena rock guitars. 
This song articulates the essential message of our Christian faith. Really, it's a command that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to us all. In the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, love one another as I love you. This is our primary duty as Christians, to love one another, to sacrifice for each other, to will the good of the other. To be perfect in holiness, we must exemplify perfect charity. Now, it's all very simple, but that's precisely what makes it so difficult. But with the supernatural grace given to us by our Heavenly Father, we can love one another as He loves us. So here's a sneak peek of Love One Another. Hey everybody, we got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel. A video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short faith-filled segments, live events and programs. You've got to check it out. Go to your app store and type in Array of Hope. Our guest today is Stephen Ray. He is an author of three best-selling Ignatius Press books, Crossing the Tiber, Upon This Rock, and St. John's Gospel. He speaks at conferences all over the world. He's a regular guest on The Journey Home on EWTN, and he has appeared on many radio and TV programs, including Fox News. He is the writer, producer, and host of the 10-part video series, The Footprints of God, which is entirely filmed on location in the Holy Land and surrounding countries. Steve and his wife Janet are certified guides to the Holy Land and lead pilgrimages throughout the Middle East and Rome. He and Janet live in Michigan and they have four children and 18 grandchildren. Mamma mia. It's my honor and privilege to welcome Steve Ray. So Steve, it's so great to be with you today. Thank you so much for offering your time and, and your energy to, to to spend this time with us. It's great to see you. Thank you, Mario. You. Glad to be here. Glad to be fellow workers in the vineyard of Christ. Amen, amen. Um, you know, uh, before I always start, I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. Uh, part of my conversion back to the Catholic faith, uh, you were very instrumental in that. I did a lot of listening to you and read some of your books. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But um, I want our listeners to know a little bit more about maybe the Stephen, you know, Stephen Ray as a young child. What were you like as a kid? Uh, I know that you, you were... Convert, so you can maybe share a little bit about that. And uh, what was your upbringing like? I was a brat, <laughs> basically, and my my mother would reaffirm that that I was the most difficult of the five kids to raise. In fact, my mom is ninety nine and a half years old. I went and visited her yesterday in the nursing home. She's still as lucid as can be. I go and read the Bible to her because she taught me as a boy to love the Bible. Wow! And now she can't read; her eyes won't. So I go there and I'm reading through the Psalms with her. I go every couple of days and visit her. 
but my mom and dad became, um, they were pagans. They didn't have any religion, and they converted to Christianity in 1953 due to Reverend Billy Graham. <laughs> and they got into a Baptist church uh, in Detroit, and uh, after 12 years of miscarriages, my mom prayed and said, God, now that I'm a Christian, please give me kids. I'll raise them for you. And I was born a year later. She said I was an answer to her prayer until I became Catholic, and then God misunderstood her prayers. <laughs> but um, I had great family, and they raised us to love Jesus, to love the Bible. We went to church every uh, – my dad was an evangelist. He would just talk to everybody about Jesus. He was so excited. He'd been an alcoholic and smoked and ran around. And when he became a Christian in the Baptist tradition – all of that just left. He lost all of his desire mm. for alcohol, for smoking, for running around, and he became a very devout uh, a Christian. And so that I'm very fortunate because I had a good school in mm. a sense. It wasn't Catholic. I didn't learn about sacraments. I didn't know all of the beauty and the riches and the devotions and the history of the Catholic Church. But I learned about Jesus and I learned about how to live a holy life. My mom and dad were two, uh, married 73 years, and they were a very holy couple. So I had this great childhood schooling on mm -hmm. what it was to be a Christian, what it was to be a husband and a father. And so uh, we had to memorize Bible verses, of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you always have to say at the end and the beginning, John 3, 16. Mm -hmm. See, Catholics, they know a lot about the Bible, and they know a lot of verses. They just don't know where to find them. So, we had to learn that. And then we had to learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 6th, Samuel, 1st, 2nd, Kings, 1st, 2nd, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nehemiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the books of the Old Testament. But I left wow. seven books out because that was the Protestant list I memorized. That's impressive. But just to give you an idea of <laughs> my childhood, I was a brat. I've always been a type A personality, countercultural, rebellious and um, I graduated from high school in 1973, right in the middle of the whole revolution, mm -hmm. um, rock and roll and all the drugs and everything else. And I brought my parents a lot of grief, although I have to say I never did drugs once. I never did drugs. And people would tease me and say, you're chicken. And I said, no, my dad loves me mm -hmm. and I would never do anything to disappoint my dad. So I'm not going to do that because I know what he would think about that. Right. That kept me from my, the love of my parents kept me from ever doing drugs, but it didn't keep me from doing a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. And um, at 17 years old, this was the climax of my life. One of two or three at 17 years old. Again, my mom had Billy Graham on and now I was long hair hippie kid. I know I mean, with my hair now, you know, but at the time I had long hair down on to like a lion's mane on my shoulders. And I was a hippie rebellious kid. And I heard Billy Graham and it just got to me. And when George Beverly Shea started singing, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. I got all choked up and I walked out into the country and I looked up at the stars and I said, Jesus, I'm only 17 years old, but tonight I'm going to give my whole life to you. Wow. So that was that was the transformative yep. moment for you, huh? And that chokes me up every time I talk about it. Wow. It just shows what an impact that made on me. I'd been raised a good Baptist kid. You know, I believed it. I would have said it. But that was the moment where I met Jesus personally. That's beautiful. And I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. And that has always been the kind of the trajectory. That's the day where the rocket ship took off. And I've mm. lived it better some days than others. But it has always been at the forefront of my mind in my life. I went to school that year, met a young girl, 
she had just met Jesus too. So we got talking to each other and she told me later that God told her, that's the man you're going to marry. I was 17. She was 15. And four years later, we got married. Now we've got four kids and 18 grandchildren. And um, when I was 39, through a long process, well, actually a relatively short process, we converted to the Catholic Church was the most radical thing you could do in our world. And we lost both sets of families and we lost every friend in within two weeks because how could you go join that cult? Well, wait a minute. So you and your wife converted together? Together. Oh, yeah. We got married young and we made up a pledge that we were going to do three things. We were going to always do everything together. We were a team. Mm -hmm. And we would prove to the world that a man and a woman could love each other for a lifetime in a monogamous relationship. Mm -hmm. We didn't understand sacraments and matrimony or all that. It was Mm -hmm. Jesus made, God made marriage, and we were going to prove to the world that a man and a woman under the lordship of Jesus Christ could be married for a lifetime and love each other and be faithful. And that we could raise kids to do the same. And so now I've got four kids that all love the Lord. They're wonderful, married, excellent spouses. I couldn't be happier. (laughs) And now 18 grandkids, one of them thinking of being a priest and one is a concert pianist. Wow, that's awesome. They're all marvelous. So that's the quick version of our story. Well, how old were you when you converted? uh, 39 years old. I was, we were married for 18 years. Oh, so it was a while since, you know, since you got married. Oh, yeah. Our kids were all born as Protestants. They all um, were raised. In fact, when we decided to convert to the Catholic Church, my daughter, who's very smart, she's a PhD in philosophy today. I mean, she's a brilliant girl. And my my wife homeschooled them all. So they were sharp and they learned how to think and to reason and to... Well, we also taught them all about the Catholic Church being a cult and the whore of Babylon, you know, as part Hmm. of homeschooling. But... When at 39, we converted, my daughter was 16, my son, Jesse, 13, and they said to us, Dad, read my lips. We're not going to join with you. And we said, why not? And they said, did you forget what you taught us about the Catholic (laughs) Church? Hmm. Well, touche, fair enough. But I had written a letter to my dad because he was so upset and so angry at me for becoming Catholic that he clenched his fist. You must be backslidden living in sin to even think. Well, anyway, I wrote him a letter. And I asked my daughter and my son, would you please proofread the letter that I wrote to dad? They said yes. At four o'clock in the afternoon, they went up to their bedroom. They started reading it. They didn't come down for dinner. They came down at 10 o'clock with tears in their eyes. The pages were soaked with their tears and said, dad, that was a really good letter. We decided we're going to join the church with you. That letter that I wrote became my book, Crossing the Tiber. That's right. And it was never going to be a book. This was it. It was never going to be a book. It was a A letter letter to my father. It was a love letter to mom and dad because I said, you're the best mom and dad in the world, and I owe you an explanation. And the beauty of it is, is my two older kids were the first converts as a result of it. Wow. Well, give, give us a, you know, the, the short view of what was that explanation? What, what drew you to the Catholic Church? What was it? Like, what happened? The problems within Protestantism. I didn't see anything good about the Catholic Church at first. And mm-hmm. the Catholics I knew were a big reason why I shouldn't be a Catholic. Mm-hmm. They gave me the big excuse to never be Catholic. But what happened to us is we began to see the problems in Protestantism. What is worship? How many churches did Jesus start? What's the final authority for a Christian? I would have said the Bible alone, but at that point, there was how many thousands of denominations, and all of them are reading the same Bible with the same Holy Spirit, supposedly, and coming up with all these different interpretations and churches and ideas. And I said, there's something wrong. And my wife and all, we almost became agnostics. 
after mm. being married 18 years, and both of us very devout evangelical. I was a Bible teacher, did evangelism, all these things. And we almost became agnostic. And then a friend converted, and we tried to prove him he was wrong. And what happened was, I was convinced that the early Christians were Protestants. They, they got corrupted with Catholic ideas and man-made traditions later on in the centuries. But originally, they were pure, pristine Protestants, Bible alone, faith alone, follow Jesus. When I went back and began to read the writings of the very first pastors, and I like to say, why was I so concerned about what my pastor says today when I can go back 2,000 years and listen to the very first pastors, what they had to say? Are you referring to the church fathers? You're referring to the church fathers? Is that what you Yeah, who knew the apostles or were in that generation. Right, sure. When I went back and started to read them, I did not find my favorite Protestant doctrines. (laughs) And I found that the early church was was really Catholic. And that's what this book, I went through that with my dad, and I showed him how the early church functioned, what they believed, and how Protestantism had protested that. Mm. They had strayed from what the early church taught, and that the early church was really Catholic. And my dad, it's his own fault, he told me, Steve, you always have to follow the truth, even if it hurts. Well, Mm. this hurt but it was the truth, so I had to follow it, hmm. and here we are. Never, And I've never looked back, by the way, Mario, never looked back. Amen. So, Steve, what are some of the key doctrines that you think are the ones that are the biggest challenges for people when discussing the Catholic faith with them? How do you yourself work through them, and, and how does the Bible support these doctrines? I'm sure you well, had to— confront a couple of those, right? In your There's a couple of them. The one was theological. The other was much more practical, mm-hmm. and that was contraceptives. Mm. Because my wife and I had always used contraceptives. Because when we got through, when we were going to get married, the Baptist pastor who met with us for classes said to us, well, let's get the important things taken care of first. What kind of birth control are you going to use? So that was just part of our marital creed. And my wife almost lost her life and the life of our child with a, with a preemie that was born. She was born three pounds, four ounces. I held her in my hand, <laughs> little girl. And the doctor said, you should probably not have any more kids because you, you know, this, you could kill you. And so she viewed, and we did, contraceptives as our lifeline to stay alive. But when we became Catholic, even though even at that point, I really didn't understand it or it wasn't our favorite doctrine, it was one of my least favorites, we practiced it because I said I was a Protestant protestant before. If I'm going to become a Catholic, <laughs> I'm not going to become a Protestant Catholic. Right. I'm not going to start protesting here. Right. I'm coming Catholic. I'm going to be Catholic. And my wife and I said, when the day we become Catholics, we're throwing all the contraceptives away and we're going to put our, our life in the hands of the Lord. Wow. And so that happened. But that was our least favorite practical doctrine. Theologically, Mary was and is for many, many Protestants a big problem because the New Testament doesn't say a lot about her. I have to say, and I, when I give my talks on Mary now, I learned more about Mary from the Old Testament than I did from the New. Hmm. There's a fancy word called typology. Yeah. And typology is where something in the Old Testament prefigures a reality in the New Testament. For example, when Moses and the children of Israel went through the Red Sea, and above them was a pillar of cloud, and then they got into the wilderness and ate the manna, 
that is a beautiful picture of leaving the world, going through water baptism, water with a spirit over your spirit and water. We get born again, come out into the wilderness of this world, and we have the Eucharist. Well, Mary is just, the Old Testament is full of Mary. She's the burning bush. She is the Ark of the Covenant. She is the new Eve, the new uh, Jerusalem. She's the second Eve. All of these marvelous images. When I realized that Mary, the Bible is full of Mary, mm -hmm. I then went back to the teachings of the church and said, wow, these early church fathers and the church understood all of this. I've had blinders on all these years. So the, the most difficult doctrines, seemingly like the Eucharist and Mary, became the most beautiful and the most biblical. Mm -hmm. And then it became a race to see how much I could learn and how fast I could learn it because there were gold in them there hills. And the faster you get out in them hills and dig it, the more gold you get. And wow. I just fell in love with the Bible as a Catholic all the more. That's awesome, Steve. That's really great. Initially, when I first started um, listening to some of your podcasts and some of your videos, I just loved your energy and I loved the way you defended the faith. Really, you know, I love the apologetics approach that you had. Uh, and then I started listening to Patrick Madrid and Tim Staples and Jimmy Aiken. I just loved better understanding the faith through people who really had the logic and the reasoning behind why we believe what we believe as Catholics in the first place. And I know that you take a lot of pilgrimages yourself, or you used to before COVID. Maybe you could share a little bit about um, those pilgrimages that you run and how you can literally live the Bible by visiting locations and reading scripture. I'm convinced that there's no way to evangelize people better than to take them on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, get them out of their comfort zone in America and immerse them in the land of our Lord and in a, and being in a proper way. There are not all pilgrimages are created equal. And I want ours to be very Catholic and, and very centered on scripture. I've been to the Holy Land over 180 times. And that doesn't count Egypt and Syria and Iraq and Jordan and the other countries around. That's just Israel. And I, I, we've been grounded for a little over a year now, but we're back in the air again. Catholic Convert's my website. I might as well throw yeah, the link to the website there. So if you want to go on a pilgrimage that's thoroughly Catholic, um, we've, we've done so many pilgrimages, I can't even count them now and, and just love it. But the first time I went, I was a Catholic. I never dreamed I'd go there. I'd been all over Europe as a Protestant, studying my Reformation roots but never thought of going to Israel. When I became Catholic, there was something that drove me to the land. Hmm. I remember 1995 was our first trip, and I got off the plane, and it was the old airport that had steps coming down. And I remember when, as soon as my feet touched the tarmac, I was overcome with emotion, and I fell down on the tarmac with my backpack on, <laughs> and I wept. I left a puddle of tears on the tarmac in Tel Aviv, and my good wife just stood there with me. But it has always been a profound experience, even after 180 times. I cannot wait to get back. It never gets tired. You never get oh, tired of I it. I never get tired of it. And wow. I never get tired of sharing it with other people. I say, I get to see it again for the first time through your eyes. Mm. When I see people tear up, when I see them just fall on their knees in places, uh, I just say, wow, this is worth every minute of it. And there's nothing, there are sacred places. I always say Rome is marvelous. It's the glory of Christendom. 800 churches in one city. Oh, man, it's beautiful. 
But there are sacred places, but only in the Holy Land is it holy ground. Wow. That's because God walked there. He didn't walk in Rome. He right. didn't walk in Lourdes and Fatima, but he walked with his own feet in the wow. land called Israel. How, how can you not be overwhelmed? I'll give you one example. Sometimes a husband and a wife come for different reasons. And once a man and his wife were there and a man said to me, he says, Steve, I want you to know I don't really want to be here. I'm putting up with it. My wife went fishing with me for two weeks up north last year. And this was my part of the bargain. I had to come with her this year here <laughs> as a trade-off. I said, well, that's great. I'm glad you're with us. And I, under my breath, I said, the land will get you. <laughs> the third day into the trip, we are at Capernaum. This is where Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. 75% of the miracles we read about in the New Testament were done in that city. And we are having mass over Peter's house where he lived. And just 100 feet away is the synagogue where Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You can see it from the window while we're at mass. When that guy, after the readings, and, and by the way, people don't know this, but all the readings there are site-specific. So when you're in Capernaum, you always read the, re, the writings related to that site. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, April, May, June, you always read about the eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's the gospel there because it's site-specific, the masses sure. are. And so I always tell the priest or the deacon, when you're done reading the gospel, the last line there says, and Jesus spoke these words in the synagogue in, in Capernaum, I want you to point and say, and that's right there as you end that gospel reading. Well, when this guy came out of mass that day, he had tears running down his eyes. Bet, and he I said, bet. Steve, I'm not a reluctant pilgrim anymore. I just <laughs> realized where I am. And the guy was just emotional through the trip the rest of the time. I mean, it, it's it's on my bucket list. I want to go to the Holy Land and experience that myself. And I just can't even imagine being in those places where the Bible happened. <laughs> you can't imagine I can't, it. I agree so, with you. You know, and, and I think um, if you want to convert someone, drag them to the Holy Land, I would think, right? So you can really have them experience that. We have seen that happen many I bet, times. I bet. It's disheartening that people just don't read the Bible. Often we think those stories are not real, but they happened. You know, they're real stories. Maybe you could share a little bit of that. Boy, you you pitched me uh, right down the, the uh, <laughs> hitting zone there. <clears throat> One of the people tend to think of the Gospels, a lot of people do, as once upon a time right. in a land. Far away. <laughs> Music That's playing, violins. Yeah. But I love to do the movies that we've done, the Footprints of God movies, and all on location and take pilgrimages. Because for a lot of people that cannot go there and experience it for either their time or money or health, I like through the movies to bring it back. And one of my goals was is to show people that this is really true. Everything we believe as Catholics and the Bible is rooted in history. And you can go visit those places. And the memory of those places are still there. Mm -hmm. And you can still, as Catholics, with a sacramental sense that we have, you can still sense that. You could still get hair come up on the back of your neck. You could still get goosebumps. And when you walk in those places, you realize that's where Jesus was crowned with thorns and whipped. And then we walk down this road, and there's the tomb. That's where Calvary is, a 25, 25-minute walk away. And that's how close it is. My goodness, they're real places. 
And you can, when we take our folks to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, we get there early. We, we, we start out about four o'clock in the morning. Don't let that scare you from going with us. There's, there's method to our madness. We get there when nobody's there. Normally, it's so crowded. You can't even move. It's like sardines. But in the morning, no one's there. And I bring my group up to the top of Calvary and under the altar is the rock where the cross stood. And I said, go up one, two by two, reach down under the altar, touch that rock. And remember that if you did that 2,000 years ago, your hands would come up sticky with his blood. Oh, That's what you're touching. Gosh. And people come up to that place in line and you could just see all of a sudden their faces just get this, like they're stepping into an aura of something and tears come in their eyes and they walk up and they touch the cross and they touch their rosaries to that point and come away. And they're never the same. Yeah. This thing, it changes people. It fundamentally changes something in you. And I want our trips always to be the just very thoroughly Catholic and sacramental. Mm. We follow the rosary as our itinerary. And in fact, when we first took our daughter, she was five years old. It's great for kids, by the way. They'll never leave the faith if you take your teenagers there. When we took our five-year-old daughter, she knew where every place we were because of the rosary. So we would say, Emily, this is rosary number something. And oh, she'd say she'd run up and hug the rock. <laughs> wow, it's beautiful. So the land really is powerful. And I never get tired of it. And I can't wait to get back this year. Got three trips going. Maybe you could tell our listeners um, where they could find the footprints of God. Uh, you know, where th- now this is the films that you had made reg- on, yeah. you know, on the Holy Land. So we've got uh, nine of them so far. Um, I'm just going to pull one off the shelf here, but it, it's they are on my website, CatholicConvert.com. They can order them there. And this one, for example, is Apostolic Fathers. That's the last one we've done so far. Okay, great. We still are going to do Doctors of the Church, but I started out with Abraham. Right. That's the beginning of the whole salvation story. And mm-hmm. that's began in Iraq. We actually went to Iraq when ISIS was there. Wow. And it was an interesting week we spent there. But that's where Abraham started. The whole story of the Garden of Eden was in Iraq. So we started there. We did Abraham, and then the children of Israel end up in Egypt. So there we did Moses bringing them out. We did it all in Egypt at the Nile River in Joshua. And then we did the kings, David and Solomon and the whole kingdom of Israel. Then we did the prophets and how they came to correct the kings. And then we did Mary and then Jesus, all on location everywhere they were. That's and I awesome. defend the Catholic Church all the way along and mm-hmm. apologetics in the Bible. I teach it. And, and it's all done kind of with this hat. That's why I wear this hat. I kind of created a persona through these movies. And now people say, if you don't have your hat, you're not Steve Ray. So well, our, our listeners can't see you, but it's kind of like a black cowboy hat, sort of. Yeah, it's or, a Tilly hat. It's a Tilly hat, guys. It's, uh, yeah. it, it's, uh, my wife got it for me when we started making the movies because my head got so sunburned. <laughs> and I, she said, here, you're wearing a hat. And, I, and it just became a That's persona. Awesome. It's your vibe. Right. It's your look. Yeah, Jerusalem Jones, the crocodile hunter <laughs> of the Catholic Church. You know. That's great. So uh, anyway, then we did Jesus, Mary, Paul. Peter and Apostolic Fathers. So, and they're on my website, CatholicConvert.com. And if you buy all nine of them, there's a big discount. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, as I expressed a bit earlier with you, I I think for someone that's searching, for someone that's trying to understand their faith and grow closer to God, you know, developing your intellect certainly swells your heart. At least it did for me. So I would recommend all our listeners, you know, to check out Steve Ray's Mm -hmm. site, uh, check out those movies, buy some of those books. They're, They're really wonderful. And it helped me. So 
I definitely uh, affirm the validity and the effectiveness of the content. Thank you, Mario. Amen. You're very kind. You're yeah. very kind. So, Steve, I want to thank you so much for hanging with us. It was really just uh, great to meet you and, and, and share the faith a little bit with you. And, and, and thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for being a fellow worker here in the vineyard with us. Keep it up. Yeah, thank you. We all have to work together, right? I mean, we are Absolutely. we are the Catholic Church. We are the universal church, and I think Catholics sometimes forget that. You know, we work in silos, and we need to unite and, and make our message bold, loud, with a lot of excitement and, and yep. beauty. And, and that's what you do. Well, thank you. All right. Amen, my brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank right. you, Mario. Peace. God bless. You too. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, okay. So this is the end over here. <laughs> well, thanks so much for hanging out. This has been a lot of fun and encouraging, and it's really placed a desire in my heart to go on a pilgrimage. And the place I want to go the most is the Holy Land, and I hope I'll be able to do that in this upcoming year. I want to remind you to please share this podcast with others, and the more people that know about our work, the more people we can bring to Christ who can save souls. I want to thank our donors and our supporters. And we'd love you to be part of the Array of Hope family. Uh, And if you'd like to make a donation, all you have to do is go to our website and our donation page and become a member. We also want you to keep in touch with us throughout the week on social media where we can keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and our daily reflections. We also want to let you know that every day at 3 o'clock on Instagram, we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and we encourage you to join us. It's a beautiful way of praying together as a universal church, and it also gives us graces beyond what we could ever imagine. Our guest next time will be Mary Rice Hassan, and she is a book of knowledge. You're certainly going to enjoy her. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for joining us today, and there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.